0: Lynn Hiles Ministries presents, Dr. Lynn Hiles, That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again today. I trust you've been following us uh, on uh, the program because we've been sharing some, I believe some cutting edge things that I think probably is uh, fresh to your mind. We are so thankful for the cards, letters, Uh, the emails, the phone calls that we have received encouraging us to continue. Uh, When we first uh, started to teach this we thought we would do it just to test the waters and see uh, the response we got from it, but it's been so overwhelmingly positive that we have uh, purpose to continue to teach through the book of Revelation until we're completed. We have taught through the 13th chapter, we have taught over 80 uh, programs on this particular subject. And if you have missed any of them, go back to our YouTube page and you can view them at any time uh, at your leisure. And uh, they are there for your study purposes. And, uh, you know, we uh, we have had several pastors ask us for the permission to... Uh, Pull it down and use it in their Wednesday night uh, Bible study or whatever. We welcome that. That's, we we want to get the message out. Also, you can go to our iTunes and you can uh, sign up for our podcast because the audio portion of this can be put right to your uh, iPhone or your iPad or or any of your devices like that. There's also if you have a Android device, you can go to our website. There is an RSS feed that you can get where you can get the audio portion, so you can go back. And review this, uh, man. I have done a ton of research uh, on this subject, and uh, and we're just so uh, just so overwhelmingly thankful for those of you who have responded to what we've been sharing, and uh, we appreciate it. it. You know, it really does encourage us. I know a lot of times people probably think, well, we just get. Barraged with a bunch of stuff, but really, it's not. Uh, uh, we, we appreciate it. We really do when we uh, hear from our audience and we get to know what they're hearing and what they're saying. Up to this point, we've dealt with through the thirteenth chapter of the book of Revelation, and uh, we are going to uh, continue with the fourteenth chapter uh, this this week and. Uh, and probably for the next several weeks. Over the last several weeks we did quite a bit on dealing with the beast and uh, his mark and the number of his name, both the land beast and the sea beast. The land beast being uh, uh, the one that came, uh, or the, I'm sorry, the sea beast, the one that rose up out of the sea, being a, uh, just a fulfillment of what Daniel prophesied concerning the beast of Rome. And we showed you the comparison of how they exactly fit Uh, with the fulfillment of what Daniel prophesied would happen. And then we dealt with the land beast or the lamb, which had two horns and spoke like a dragon and showed you how that they deal with uh, the whole idea of a religious system uh, that was uh, uh, in cohorts or, if you will, in uh, 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 working together in tandem with the Roman government and the religious system of that day and Judaism as they dovetailed to persecute the church and persecute Christians. I want to say one other thing, and I I don't know if I said it yet, on the program when i I was teaching uh, earlier but uh, when i you know we 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 established we showed you how that of course the lowest common denominator of uh the 666 is man in his fallenness everything that you see uh, flowing from the incredible horrific deeds of this beast are really coming from the depth of fallenness of of Adam, and we showed you how the 666 fits him perfectly. And then we also took it a step further to show you how the personification of that was also Nero, and how his name literally fit exactly uh, with the beast, and how he was the one that uh, you know, in, uh, in, in, in agreement with the religious leaders that would uh, ostracize those uh, who would not take the mark of the beast. And uh, that mark was a, uh, literally a symbol that they put on them when they would go into the markets. I believe it was at Agora. And there was an image set up of Nero. And they would have to go in with either uh, ashes on their hand or ashes on their head. I think we could take it further also and say that, you know, even outside of if you're looking for a physical mark, you could say that the carnal mind, in its totality of fallenness, uh, it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. And that mind is the mind, if you will, of the beast or of, of uh, a fallen man. Uh, I wanted to just add something else quickly that I'm not sure if I touched it or not, but I want to make sure I get it on the segment. But when I uh, when I uh, when I, uh, I did this book called God's Beauty and the Beast, and uh, you can get that by calling the number on the screen, and uh, it would be a great blessing to you because in this book I wrote it in 1993 before I saw a lot of the fulfilled eschatology here, and uh, but I believe it's still very relevant. I'm just talking to a, a bishop, and he said, "Man, I, I I'm teaching this in one of my classes. It's still some of the most phenomenal stuff to open people to a spirit of revelation." Um, that, uh, you know, he said it's been quite a blessing to me. But in this book, one of the things I do also is I show how that every Greek letter in the Greek alphabet has a numerical value. And what I discovered when I began to uh, study this is I found that there are only five words in the entire New Testament that have a numerical value of 666. And one of those words that have a numerical, the very first word as a matter of fact, that has a numerical value of 666 is the word tradition. Now I think that's incredible. And its first usage, I believe that particular word that has that numerical value is used, I believe it is 13 times in the New Testament. And it is where Jesus said you have by your traditions made the word of God ineffective. And so uh, I I believe one of the enemies of Revelation is that there are people probably even watching me right now and I'm probably really messing with a lot of your traditions. And I'm not, listen, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I just want you to be able to search the Scriptures and see that there may be an alternative to a whole lot of this fear stuff that we hear and that there may be a real uh, victorious eschatology that we can embrace that will give us an incredibly bright future. I believe one of the greatest enemies, and I'm not saying all tradition is bad. I thank the Lord for traditions in our family. But when they are traditions that make the Word of God ineffective, uh, then, uh, you know, they become pro-God but anti-Christ. And so when the Apostle John writes in one of his epistles, he says, little children, we know that it is the last time because Antichrist is already on the scene. He said that 2,000 years ago. And so what he was dealing with is any spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, is a spirit of Antichrist, so anything that 's void of the life of Christ is antichrist whether it 's religion or whatever it is. I believe the biggest enemy on the planet right now is religion, whether it is uh, i don 't care what religion it is because it 's pro God but it 's antichrist it looks like a lamb, but it talks like a dragon and it is amazing to me that in trying to break forth truth that we have to navigate the waters of offending people. So much so that we almost feel like we've got to hold back in certain areas of sharing truth because uh, people do not want to let go of their traditions. You mess with their traditions. But uh, I, I, believe we, I believe it's okay to have dialogue. I believe it's okay to think about some things. When I was growing up, I didn't even know there was an alternative view to the book of Revelation. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, then I began to realize, hey, there, there, there's some things that I saw here without anybody even teaching me. And uh, you know, I started seeing pieces come together. So just started researching, find that hey, there's a whole, there's a lot of different ways to look at this book. Let me just quickly say so that you can uh, remember uh, that the book also uh, has in it the rest of the four words. I, I'm not going to get into that because that's not the subject this week. You can order the book to get the other four words that have the numerical value of 666. But I want to come back in into the 14th chapter uh, of the book of Revelation because it's the exact opposite contrast from revelation 13 and let me just begin by reading it. it says and i looked and lo a lamb stood on mount zion and with him one hundred and forty four thousand having their father's name written in their foreheads now to me this is a uh an incredible contrast to uh, in revelation 13 they had the mark of the beast and in revelation 14 uh, they have their father's name written in their foreheads uh, let me read this to you from um, uh, revelation the third chapter this is verse 12 revelation 3 12. him that overcometh will i make in the a pillar in the temple of my god and he shall go no more out and i will write upon him the name of my god see that i will write upon the overcomer the name of my god and the name of the city of my god which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. Uh, These people that that have the Father's name written in their foreheads are the contrast to the mark of the beast. So in other words, uh, you know, you've got one mark or the other in your forehead. Uh, It is interesting to me as well that when we look back uh, to some of the things we've priorly taught, Uh, in the seventh chapter of the book of Revelation, where there's 144,000 sealed out of every tribe, is that uh, uh, they they were sealed and God began to declare, uh, hurt not the earth, the sea, nor any green thing till I have sealed my servants in their forehead. Now, you know, one of the things that I want you to see is that it's not just alone. We've already showed you how the natural fulfillment of this. But, uh, you know, the the biggest problem we have is not just what somebody would tattoo or mark on us, but it's what's inside of our head. See, even uh, what was being dealt with as they received this mark of Nero was they were declaring an allegiance to him. A affinity to his, uh, uh, to his, uh, if you will, godship, because there was emperor worship that was instituted, and they worshipped these emperors. And you could go back as far as even I believe it was uh, Neb- I believe it was uh, Nebuchadnezzar, or Belshazzar. I forget which one, but he, he he declared himself to be a god, and God said, Well, I'm going to give you the heart of a beast, and you're going to go about and eat grass until you know that the Most High God rules in the kingdoms. Of men, so this is dealing with their uh, what's not necessarily just on our heads, but what's in our heads. And so, if the carnal mind is enmity, then this mark of God must be having their father's nature, uh, they're having a transformed mind. They've been renewed, or, or they've been transformed by the renewing of their minds. It's a mindset of affinity and commitment and submission to God, who is the only King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But they were also sealed in Revelation 14, and one of the things that we shared with you about the sealing of the saints is that Ephesians 1 uh, tells us that we were sealed, that's a powerful word, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit, a promise which is the earnest, or if you will, literally the down payment of our inheritance until the, the, uh, the fullness of the purchased possession. Uh, I want to just show you this also, uh, to contrast this with it as being the opposite of the mark of the beast. For your notes sake, Ezekiel, the ninth chapter, verse number one, this is a powerful picture, I think, of the sealing of the saints. In chapter nine of the book of Ezekiel, this is a vision that the prophet Ezekiel was seeing. In verse one, he said, He cried also in mine ears with a loud voice, saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. Behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lie toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen and a writer's inkhorn by his side, and they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. And the glory of the God of Israel was going up from the the cherub, whereupon he was uh, to the threshold of the house, and he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, watch this, watch this, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. This is a prophetic picture of God sealing his saints and put a protection upon those uh, whom are sighing and crying for the abominations uh, that were in the midst of, of, thereof. And to the others, he said, in mine hearing, go ye after him through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have you pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women, but come not near any man upon whom is the mark. And begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. And he said unto them, Defile the house and fill the courts with the slain. Go ye forth, and And they went forth and slew in the city. And it came to pass while they were slaying them, and I was left, that I fell upon my face and cried, and said, Ah, Lord God, wilt thou destroy all the residue of Israel and thy pouring out of thy fury upon uh, Jerusalem? Then said he unto me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceeding great, and the land is full of blood and the city full of perverseness. For they say, The Lord has forsaken the earth and seeth not. And as for me also, mine eyes shall not spare, neither will I have pity, but I will recompense their way upon the he- their head. And behold, the man clothed with linen, which had the ink on by his side, reported the matter, saying, I have done as thou hast commanded me. Now, this was a vision that Ezekiel had, but I think it is a powerful comparison to what God is saying here in the book of Revelation, because we're going to see in the 14th and the 15th chapters that one of the things that I want to point out, let let, let let me just calm down and say this very clearly. One of the important things to note is that as we come to the 14th, And the 15th chapter of the book of Revelation, we are coming to the conclusion of the trumpets of God, the sounding of the trumpets. Now, let me tell you that we're going to see such a great parallel between the trumpets and the vials or the chalices that are poured out in a few moments. And what they simply are, let me make this as clearly as I I can, the trumpets were the declaration of the coming judgments, and the chalices of blood are the implementation of what the trumpets declared. And they are the pouring out of the judgments in actuality. So it is God declaring and warning. Uh, the Bible tells us that God will do nothing till He first reveals it to His servants, the prophets. There is a certain sound of these trumpets that is sounding that is continually warning uh, and giving God's people Opportunity after opportunity to repent and to uh, embrace their Messiah and their king and his kingdom. If you remember in Matthew 23, the last few verses, when Jesus stood and wept over Jerusalem, he says to them, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and you that kill the prophets, how oft I would have gathered you under my feathers as a hen doth gather her chicks but you would not. Therefore your house is left unto you desolate. One of the only places that I can find in the scripture where God has feathers is on the mercy seat where the wings uh, stretch forth from one and they touch each other over the mercy seat. And when I hear the Lord say, I would have gathered you under my feathers, what Jesus is weeping about over this city is, I wanted to give you mercy. I've done everything I know because my heart is to give you mercy, but you would not. Therefore your house is left to you desolate. In other words, I wanted to forgive your land. I wanted to forgive your sins and heal your land. I I, I wanted to bring you back into this mercy. If you would have simply received the son of the vineyard owner, if you would have simply received your Messiah, but now see. Your house is left to you desolate. And Jesus, when they were marching him down the streets during his passion, says to them, women, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves. And he talked about a coming judgment that was coming upon uh, these people who had finally rejected their king and their Messiah to the point that God was obligated to fulfill his end of the covenant bargain Uh, with Israel and uh, said, if you do not keep all the words of this, then all of these curses will come upon you. And the people with one voice said amen after every one of those curses. So God was trying to give them mercy to let them transition out of that old covenant into a new covenant, but they would not. Therefore, God was obligated to keep his end of the covenant bargain and to give them all of the... uh, all of the, uh, if you will, judgments that He had promised to them. Now, one of the things, again, I want to say is the first thing we see is we see a lamb on Mount Zion. And with him 144,000 having their father's name written in their forehead. So this, to me, again, is a picture of the same vision that was seen in chapter 7 of the book of Revelation they have their father's name in their foreheads and again according to Revelation 3:12 it is the overcomer to him who overcomes i will write upon him the name of my god and the name of the city of my god now this to me is not just the natural Physical Jew, and we've already dealt with that in prior segments. This is uh, both Jew and Gentile because he tells us in this 14th chapter later on that these are the first fruits unto God and they are out of every nation and kindred and tongue and people. They are the Israel of God that is made up of believers and they are the ones who are sealed in their father's forehead. We need to remember that there are times when Jesus himself would turn towards these religious leaders who were Jewish and he would say, Abraham is not your father. You are of your father the devil. You're a synagogue of Satan, uh, Revelation talks about. Uh, one of the things we're going to see is that this is, uh, 14th chapter is a great harvest paradigm and one of the things that he does in this chapter, in the 14th chapter, is he gathers together his harvest. It is interesting to me that this word gather is the Greek word that means to synagogue, to synagogue. And the synagogue was the gathering place where believers gathered together. Uh, and uh, and the presence of the Lord would come and fill the house where they were at. It is also, this is interesting to me, uh, where in the book of uh, Matthew chapter 24, uh, he talks about that he would send forth his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and he would gather together his elect from the four winds of heaven. This word gather is the same Greek word it means to synagogue. So this gathering is not to just some geographical location, it is a gathering unto the Lamb, a Lamb on Mount Zion. And uh, one of the things we're going to see probably uh, in the next segment especially is that this... Um uh, this, this lamb on Mount Zion, we're going to contrast how that Zion uh, is a, the new covenant and Sinai is the old. And we're going to show you that uh, from the book of Hebrews probably in the next segment. But yet I want to come uh, before I go to um, the next, uh, before, I, before, before I end here, I want to go back into the book of Psalm because we have a lamb on Mount Zion. And uh, I want to I look at the book of Psalms, and just a powerful psalm in chapter 2 of the book of Psalms is just, a, I think, an incredible prophetic picture of what's happening here. And this is the Lord speaking, or this is really a prophetic uh, psalm, if you will, concerning Messiah. It said, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder, and cast away their courts from us. But he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. This is the verse I'm after. Yet, man, I feel the Holy Spirit when I read this verse. Yet have I set my king... Upon my holy hill of Zion. We vote ours in, but God set His king. God set His king upon His holy hill of Zion 2,000 years ago, and Jesus is presently reigning. Man, I want to shout about that. He's not going to be king, He's already king. He is the king of all kings, He is the Lord of all lords. And he goes on to say, I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. God declares that uh, in the moment he comes up out of the river Jordan. Uh, In Matthew chapter 3 with John the Baptist, when the heaven opens and the dove lands on Jesus, uh, he confirms him right there and says, Thou art my son. Uh, You're my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the heavens opened and the spirit of God descended like a dove and God has never closed the heavens since that time. That's powerful. He also declares in the book of Hebrews, he said that not without an oath could Melchizedek be made priest. So he said, I I, 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 I swore uh, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then he declares in, him in, in, in the book of Hebrews, he said, thou, he, thou art my son, that his confirmation was as an oath when he said, Thou art my son, in whom I am well pleased. He is declared to be the son of God with power from the resurrection of the dead. And God put his approval and set his king upon his holy hill. And then Daniel prophesies about that and said, One like a son of man appeared before the Ancient of Days, and he came with clouds to the Ancient of Days. He had a coming in the clouds, and that coming was to the Ancient of Days, and it was at that coronation that God gave him kingdom and a power that all nations, kingdoms, and, and tongues would serve him. That's the dec- decree and declare of the Lord that uh, God has issued out of his mouth. That is powerful to me. And then he goes on and says to, to the son, he's talking about thou art my son this day have I begotten thee. Let me say this as well. In the River Jordan when Jesus is declared uh, to be his beloved son, John the Baptist was the priest after the order of Levi, because his father was Zechariah, his mother was also uh, 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 out of the tribe of Levi. So John was the heir apparent to the Levitical system. So what's happening in the River Jordan is more than Jesus just getting baptized. It is John, who is the priest after the order of Levi, relinquishing his priesthood to a priest after the order of Melchizedek, because a priest had to be washed before he was inaugurated, and it was that at that point that he received the oath and the affirmation of his father, you're my son, and whom I'm well pleased. And so what you need to understand is, is that if there was a change of priesthood, then there has to be of necessity a change of the law. And so thus the message of John to the Pharisees, repent the kingdoms at hand. In other words, a new form of government has now come on the scene. But look at these last few promises of Psalm 2. Ask of me and i will give you the heathen for your inheritance and the uttermost part of the earth for your possession thou shalt break them with a rod of iron thou shalt dash them in pieces like the potters of a vessel be wise now therefore all you kings and be instructed you judges of the earth serve the lord with fear and rejoice with trembling kiss the sun lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little blessed are all they that put their trust in him. He declares to them, ask me and I will give you the heathen for your inheritance. I believe that the nations of the world belong to the king of kings and that his kingdom is ever-increasing, and it is growing like leaven. We have run out of time. I want you to tune in next week as we continue to talk about this subject. If you would just take a moment to uh, call the number on the screen or go to our uh, website and sow seed into the ministry, it is what keeps us going and supports this kind of a message. If you appreciate what we're saying and you want to be a part of it, get behind us. We do need your help, and we appreciate it. Call the number on the screen if you need prayer and somebody standing by to take your call. God bless you. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.